we're about to dive into part three of our sermon series. So let's take a moment now. Let's still our hearts. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive right in. Let's pray. Father, we come before you uh, and ask for your strength. We ask for your presence, Lord, to be here among us today. God, I ask that you give me the words to speak that would be wise. I pray, God, that you would uh, open the hearts and the ears of every single one of us uh, to hear what you have to say. Father, I pray not only for us, I pray, Lord, for uh, the families of those who were slain in Florida, uh, another tragedy that, that comes up on our horizon. God, we ask, God, that you would bring peace and comfort to the families and also give us wisdom as a country, wisdom and courage to do what needs to be done to address this ongoing issue, God, in our, in our nation. Father, we just ask that you, uh, you, you be here with us today. We ask that your presence be made known to us. Uh, we ask, God, that our hearts would be receptive to you, that our ears would be open to you, uh, and that as we dive into your word today, that you would speak directly to each and every one of us, speak directly into our heart to address the things that need to be addressed, to transform the things that need to be transformed, that we might live lives that bring honor and glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in part three of our sermon series today, and it's called Build Better Blank. And Build Better Blank means build better churches, build better relationships, build better families, build better marriages, build better schools, build better communities. And we've been looking at what are the foundational principles from the scripture that God is giving to us that will help us to strengthen and fortify the relationships that we're in in all areas of our life. And so today we get to discuss a very sensitive and controversial and difficult issue when it comes to relationships. We're going to talk about the issue of conflict. Anybody ever have any conflict in any area of your life, any relationship, any relational conflict? So, so I'm going to actually ask you to participate with me this morning. I'm going to get some feedback. We're going to do this together, all right? So I want to I ask you first, if you've had any disagreement with anyone, either at your job or at your school or with your roommate or with your spouse or with your friend or on your job or at your church or at the grocery store or online, <clears throat> online or anywhere else in your life uh, in the last month, would you raise your hand with me if you had any disagreement? Okay, 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 good. That's a lot of people um, that I'll be preaching to today. Uh, let me ask you this, second question. Have any of you avoided conflict in the last month with anybody that you probably should have had a, a discussion with, but you just didn't want to have the disagreement? You didn't want to come. Can you raise your hand? Would you all share with me? Okay, good. Now, if the person next to you did not raise your hand, would you pick an argument with them so we can get all on the same page? Because here, here's the thing. The, the prophet Isaiah, in, in, the, in, in the second chapter of Isaiah, he, he says... Uh, he gives this picture of what the world will look like when we're in perfect peace and harmony. And he says, they will beat their swords into plowshares. And they will beat their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation. And neither will they study war anymore. And he creates this picture of what the world will look like when there's perfect harmony and peace. But we're not in that world yet. We're not experiencing that world right now. In fact, if you have any relationship with any other human being on the planet, you know, as well as I do, that conflict is inevitable. 
It's a reality of life that you're going to experience. Conflict is inevitable. In every relationship that you're in that is meaningful, there will be conflict. Now, here's the problem. None of us like conflict. Some of us are okay with it. Some of us hate it. But nobody really, really just enjoys conflict unless you're just, it's, your, your joy is coming out of a wound that needs to be healed, right? I mean, we're, we just don't love it. And, and one of the things that we've all experienced and one of the things that makes us want to avoid conflict is that we've all experienced destructive conflict in our life, right? We've all experienced conflict that doesn't help us. It actually undermines our life, undermines our relationship. We've all had those serial arguments. Serial arguments, it's like, it's like Groundhog Day for an argument. It's like you're having an argument, and you're like, this is kind of like a nightmare deja vu kind of experience. We've had this argument before. We've had this again and again. If you've ever had one of those arguments, it's just like, are we, are we still arguing about the same? Because this has been, right, that's a serial argument. We don't like that. Personal attacks and criticism. This is when somebody stops complaining about a thing, and they start attacking your character. And they usually do it in all caps, if you notice. They just like, blam, they blast you with this. Uh, that's not fun. Contrarianism. This is your friend who finds it to be their personal mission in life to correct you at all turns, right? They just, I call them your yeah, but friend. You say, hey, you know, the weather's really nice today. And they go, yeah, but, you know, it's supposed to rain tonight. And you're like, okay, thanks. Thanks for that, right? They're just, anything you say, they say the opposite. Contempt is when the disagreement has reached such a level that you are no longer disagreeing about a thing. You're actually undermining the value and worth of the person with whom you have the disagreement. And a lot of times, contempt, sometimes it comes out verbally, but sometimes it comes out non-verbally. So like you'll notice that if somebody just really is just like over somebody else, they'll roll their eyes, right? They'll just be like, oh. And then there's another thing, and I don't even know what you call it, but when I do it, you'll recognize it. It's this thing you do with your mouth when you're really contemptuous of somebody and you go like this. Pff. Right? It's a, I don't know what you call that. There needs to be a definite name for that, but it's like, pff. it's just like, whatever, dude. I don't even, I'm not even, you're not even, I'm not even thinking about you right now. I don't even care about you, right? That's contempt. Defensiveness is when somebody says something to you and you deflect it, right? And, you, and it turns out, actually, no, it's your fault. Right? Or actually, no, it's something, some third party's fault that over which I have no control. You know, it's some, something else, right? And then stonewalling is that, is that level of, of destructive conflict where it's just like, you know what, I'm shutting down. The walls are coming up. My eyes are going dead. You are dead to me. I can't hear you anymore, right? I'm just like, I'm gone. I'm here, but I'm gone. So uh, we've all experienced that, and we hate it, right? We know how stressful that is, how difficult that is. It churns your stomach. In fact, between services, somebody came up to me and said, man, my stomach was a knot during the sermon because I'm like, you know, registering with all this. So in order to avoid this, a lot of times we just avoid conflict altogether. We just don't even approach anybody about anything, right? But when we do that, we create an environment of artificial harmony. Artificial harmony is when we don't engage in the conflict so that we have an external experience of peace, but inside we are burning up. We're churning. We're wrestling, right? And then you get avoidance. You just like, just kind of, whoops, didn't see you. You know, you just pass on by. You get resentment, that slow drip of, of anger that just stays inside of you and just doesn't go anywhere. Passive aggression, this is when you, this is when you say something that's positive, but you mean something that's negative, right? So somebody goes, are you okay? And you go, I'm fine. I'm fine. 
You know what I mean? And what they're really saying is, I want to push you down a flight of stairs. I'm fine, okay? Um, Grudges, this is when you keep sipping on the same poison that you've been sipping on for a long time because you haven't let go of something with somebody. Disguised insults, this is one of my favorites because it's so subtle. This is when you say something that seems nice, but then after, they, after somebody says it to you, you go home and like 30 minutes later, you go, oh wait, was that, was that? They go, they go, hey, that outfit looks really good on you. It's slimming. And you're like, huh, not sure. Okay, then, um, and then the stubbornness is just like, you know, it's, it's, you just kind of drag your feet. You know, you're like, I'm coming, honey. You know, and you're just like, it's, pat, it's like you don't want to confront it. You're just being. So the problem with both of these approaches, the destructive conflict and the artificial harmony, is that neither of them actually resolve the conflict. They just don't resolve the conflict. So the conflict remains. And here's what happens with unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict, you get personal stress. You have relational strain. You have communal failure. What that means is when you don't have, and and some of you are right now, right now are thinking about an unresolved conflict in your life that you know about with a family member or friend or somebody in your life, and and you know this is true. It gives you personal stress, right? You twist and turn at night. It makes relational strain. It becomes very difficult to interact with that person. And then communal failure means now you can't actually do the thing that the, the two of you or the three of you or the ten of you were, tr- were trying to accomplish, right? It undermines your ability. If you, have, if you have this at work, now you can't get the results that you want because there's all this internal conflict. So the question becomes, how do we resolve conflict? How do we move forward? If conflict is inevitable, right? And we all know that it is. And destructive conflict and artificial harmony do not help move us forward in our relationships or jobs or schools or churches or communities. How do we actually do this right? How do we actually address conflict? Well, the good news is that you and I are not the first person to ever deal with this, all right? When the first two human beings looked each other in the eye, there was conflict, right? So they actually had to figure this out from, from the very beginning. And the scripture gives us a beautiful picture of what it means to resolve conflict. In the book of Proverbs, it says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What it's saying is this. There is a way to address conflict with someone that will actually fortify the relationship, that will actually strengthen the relationship, that will actually move the relationship forward. But if you skip over it like a rock across the lake... And if you try to avoid it, and if you flatter, and if you, it, it actually erodes the relationship. It undermines the relationship. It's, it's faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means there are going to be conversations that bruise a little bit, that your ego might get bruised, their ego might get bruised, that sting a little bit, right? But unless you're willing to do that, unless you're willing to engage in, in constructive conflict, the relationship will not work. In fact, here's the takeaway for today's sermon. Write this down. This is the main point. Um, Everything I'm going to talk about is this. True harmony requires constructive conflict. If you want to actually have real harmony in a relationship, in a job, in a school, in a marriage, in a friendship, at a church, it requires constructive conflict. My dad was huge on this when I was a kid. You know, you know, I had two sisters, one older, one younger. And my older sister and I, we, we used to beef. Right, because she was smarter than me, she was faster, taller, stronger, 
everything er. She was everything er than me. And I just didn't like that. And so I was always sort of in competition with her when I was a little kid. And so we'd have these like conflicts. And my dad had this goal for our family and he repeated it so many times that it just became drummed into my head. He said, our family will love and respect each other at all times. That's what he said. Our family is gonna love and respect each other at all times. And I was like, at all times? Love and respect? I mean, you know, can we, are there any way to get around this? And so we had, when we had arguments, he would bring us together in his office and he'd be like, all right, let's work this out. And we would have to work it out right there. And it would always end with like, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive you. Okay, I'm sorry. I forgive you. And he'd be like, all right, give each other a hug. And it was like, okay. You know. Uh, right? Because now, that worked when I was a kid because, you know, you had to do it. You got the dad sitting right there going, here's what we're going to do, people. We're going to work. You're not leaving the office until this gets figured out. But then when we become adults, it's like, how do we do this, right? How do we actually work through this? How do we come through constructive, constructively? How do we move through an argument, move through a disagreement in a way that actually helps us? The scripture gives us some really powerful, deep, explicit, express insights in how to do it. So what I'm going to encourage you to do today is I'm going to encourage you, if you, if you got a pen, Take some notes. If your neighbor has a pen, ask them for their pen. Take some notes because every single one of us is either currently experiencing unresolved conflict in our life right now in some area of our life, and that's probably most of us, or we will by the end of the week. So just trust me on this, all right? So you're going to need these notes. You're going to need to understand what God says about how to resolve conflict in a way that actually brings true harmony and true peace into relationships. And it begins with this. The scripture teaches us first and foremost, check your heart. Number one is to check your heart. In about uh, the mid-1800s, there was a doctor. His name was Semmelweis. He was a doctor at the University uh, uh, of Vienna, at the, at the General Hospital in Vienna. And w- he was experiencing something that he found to be very strange. People were coming into this Viennese hospital, and they were getting routine surgeries and routine procedures, and they were, they were getting sicker, they were getting more sick at the hospital than they were before they came in. In fact, the, the, there was a death rate among the birthing mothers in this hospital that was about as high as if the mothers gave birth at home without any medical care whatsoever. And he, and he couldn't figure this out. He didn't, he didn't understand why people were coming to the hospital where it was supposed to be a place of healing and they were actually getting more sick and many of them were dying. And so he didn't understand why. The science hadn't advanced enough at that point. There wasn't a germ theory at that point. But he, in his mind, he, he, he had a hunch. And his hunch was that the hands of the doctors were not clean enough. There was something about the cleanliness, the purity of their hands. So he instituted a policy for the first time in, in the history of, 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 you know, of hospitals, of medicine. He instituted a policy that before you had a procedure, before you gave a procedure, every medical personnel had to wash their hands. Now, this just seems like obvious to us, but at the time, there wasn't a theory about this. And what he found is that the death rate for birthing mothers went from 18% to 1% in 1847. One year, it just plummeted. Because what was happening is these doctors were going into these procedures and into these operations, and they had germs and bacteria on their hands. And in an attempt to heal something, they were actually making it worse by the impurities in their hands. And when he introduced this, this, he actually had a soap, a certain kind of lime soap, a strong soap, it just radically transformed the, the, the outcomes, right? When we're entering into a disagreement 
and we're trying to resolve a problem with somebody, and we're trying to resolve a conflict, we're trying to heal a relationship, if we go in with a heart that is not pure, if we go in with a heart that still has anger and bitterness and malice, we're going to actually take a bad situation, we're going to make it worse. We're going to enter into a a discussion to try to resolve something, and it's actually going to make the whole thing worse. Jesus, not Jesus, the uh, Ephesians uh, puts it like this. Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, he said, and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If you want to have true harmony with someone, when you're about to enter into a discussion, uh, 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 a challenge with them, uh, there's, some kind of, there's some kind of discord, first you've got to cleanse your heart. The, David put it like this. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. If you're about to have conflict with somebody, you're about to engage with somebody, pray that God cleanses your heart. And the second way is this. Pray for the person with whom you have conflict. And I don't mean prayer like, God, just, just straighten them out right now, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Make them understand I'm so right and they're so wrong. Yeah, that's not the prayer. You got to pray for their good. Pray for their blessing. Pray for God's blessing upon them. Pray for them, right? And you'll be blown away by how much more peaceably you walk into a conflict if you have cleansed your heart. If you have prayed for yourself, you have prayed for the other person, then you can enter into a conflict in a way that will actually bring healing. And here's what you do when you start, once you've purified your heart, you've asked God to cleanse your heart, the, the, the next step in resolving these conflicts is to listen well. You've got to start by trying to understand where the person is coming from. Stephen Covey, who uh, writes a lot of leadership books, he says, most of us do not listen with the intent to understand we listen with the intent to reply you know a lot of times we'll go into a discussion and as they're talking you're like okay i've got a good comeback for this one i got a real good retort i'm about to i'm about to drop this one on them, right and when we do that we actually miss what's happening we actually miss what's really going on in the argument or in the disagreement here's the reality and, and you've probably seen this in your own life A lot of times the thing that you're disagreeing about is not actually the thing you're disagreeing about. It is a symptom of a deeper thing, right? And you're in a conversation with somebody and you're in a disagreement with somebody, but if you listen to where they're coming from, then you understand, oh, they're speaking out of a deeper wound. They're speaking out of a deeper pain. They're speaking out of a deeper problem. That's the thing that we need to address, not the thing that's up on the surface. The thing that's up on the surface is just an artifice. It's just a thing that you use to, 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 to symbolize the thing underneath, right? So a lot of times, but you're not going to understand that if you don't listen. In fact, here's what the scripture says. It says, Uh, what does it say? It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. A lot of times when we listen, we actually learn some things about ourselves as well. Right? A lot of times when you listen, you go, oh, Oh, I was thinking it was that, but it was actually this. I didn't realize that I had said that. I didn't realize that I had done that. Right? I didn't, 
That's why they call them blind spots, because we cannot see them. But when we listen, then we start to see them. We start to open up the possibility of hearing what it is that we've done that might have contributed to the disagreement. Even though all of us know it's not me, it's them, right? Sometimes it's a little bit me. Sometimes it's a little bit us. After we've listened, after we've come to understand clearly what is going on and what the real source of the problem is, then and only then do we speak, and the scripture teaches us that we speak wisely. We use wisdom in the words that we speak. Why? Because those words that come out cannot go back in. They don't, they just, they're gone. You cannot reel those babies back in. They're out there. They're floating out there. Rebecca and I, she said I could use this. Um, I always clear it with her, so don't, just don't even think. Um, Rebecca and I, when we, were, when we were dating, before we got married, and I've mentioned this before, but we just couldn't get it together as a couple. We were arguing all the time. And the arguments seemed to like start and then they would, they would go from zero, and then they would be at 11. Okay, I mean, they just went bang. And suddenly we're just like freaking out, you know. We really liked each other. We really loved each other, but we couldn't get on the same page. And one day we were having one of our classic arguments, and Rebecca says to me, Brent, you got to stop saying that. And I go, saying what, you know? And she goes, you keep, every time we argue, you use the word deal breaker, you say, hey, this is a deal breaker. And she said, every time you say that, it makes me feel like you're about to break up with me. And that escalates the argument from a zero to 11 because now it's not just about the thing that we're arguing about. Now it's about whether the relationship is going to remain intact. And every time you say it's a deal breaker, and now that freaks me out. And then we start going you know, crazy and just like arguing like crazy. I didn't realize I was using that word. But I guarantee you, I've never used that word since. Not one time have I used it. In fact, it's the only time I've ever said it uh, in this sermon. Because I didn't realize I was speaking unwisely. I was speaking in a way that was actually pouring, you know, fuel on the flame of the argument rather than bringing healing. Here's what the scripture says. It says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongues of the wise bring healing. Conflict can actually bring healing if you use wisdom in the words that you speak. Some people say, you know what, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta speak what's on my mind. You actually don't, right? You actually, 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 some of the things that are on your mind don't need to come out your mouth, all right? They just need to stay in your mind. And then you can, you know, if you need help, talk to somebody about how to say it, right? Because once you've said it, it's there, man. It's just out there. You can be forgiven. There's grace. There's tenderness. But man, those words will just kind of hang out there, right? So we speak with wisdom. And this is extremely important. Number four is this. We address directly. We go to the person with whom we have the conflict. Let me tell you something that happens when you talk to somebody else about a conflict that you have with someone. Here's what happens. You undermine two relationships at the same time. You undermine the relationship with the person with whom you have a conflict. And you undermine the trust of the relationship with the person to whom you are speaking. Why? Because first of all, you're talking badly about somebody else, so that's going to undermine that relationship. But when you're speaking, the person to whom you are speaking, you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, I wonder if he talks about me the way he's talking about him, right? 
Well, I wonder if, if she talks about me. So you're not only undermining the relationship with the person that you have a beef with, you're actually eroding the relationship of the person with whom you are currently communicating. And, and if we want to build healthy relationships, we want to actually build better relationships, we have to address the problem directly with the person with whom we have the problem. Jesus actually gives us a step-by-step formula for this. Here's what he says. If your brother sins against you, put him on blast on Facebook because that will help to resolve. No, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Go to that person. Words of a friend. Wounds of a friend. Bring healing. Go to that person alone. If he listens to you or if she listens to you, You have gained a brother. You have gained a sister. When you go address something directly that's difficult to address with somebody, you have revealed to them that there's trust in this relationship. And suddenly they are going to go, oh, wow, that person had the the guts, the courage to come straight to me with this issue. And, man, I respect them a lot more now than if I had heard it come around the way, right? And so Jesus says, go to them directly because if, if they hear you, if they've wounded you, if they've sinned against you, if they've done something to harm you, and you go to them directly, and they, they own up to it, then you've gained a brother. You've gained a friend. Then he says, now, if they don't own up to it, and they've really genuinely hurt you, they've done something wrong, they've sinned against you, they've harmed you in some significant way, he said, take two or three brothers or sisters with you to establish the facts around the situation. If somebody's actually done something wrong to you, something sinful, something harmful, then they actually need to confess this, right? It says, take some, and then if that doesn't work, if they still say, eh, you know, I'm not going to do it, then present it to the community and actually let the community weigh on, in on this. He says, and if they still refuse, then you can't have intimate relationship with this person. If somebody, here's what Jesus, this is what I love about what Jesus is saying. Jesus doesn't have a vision of, 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 of a world where everybody's just singing kumbaya around a campfire and we're all just like, yep, we'll work out everything. Everything's going to be smooth, right? He, doesn't, he, he knows that in our life it doesn't always work out that way. It actually takes two people to reconcile. You cannot reconcile on your own. You can try to reconcile, but if the other person's not willing to reconcile, the other person's not willing to accept their the blame or fault or whatever, you cannot be in intimate relationship with them because you, you can't put yourself in a situation where you're being repeatedly harmed, where you're being repeatedly hurt over and over and over again. So he says, look, you know, it doesn't mean that every relationship at all times is going to be reconciled. Sometimes when we've been hurt badly and the person refuses to acknowledge the pain that they have inflicted, you can't keep putting yourself, you can't keep going, touching the stove and thinking you're not going to get burnt you got to be able to say, all right, this person, at least at this point in their life, is not trustworthy. They're not reliable. They will continue to harm, and so I cannot have an intimate relationship with them. Do I forgive them? Yes, I do. Do I still love them? Yes, I do. But I can't have an intimate, you know, open, trusting relationship with them. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage, right? And then the final step of it is this, whether you have resolved the conflict or whether you can't resolve the conflict, final step is this, bury the hatchet. Number five, in resolving conflict, you know, constructive conflict is at some point you have to, you have to allow the conflict to be over. Even if you haven't resolved it to your satisfaction, even if the person hasn't done what you want them to do, at some point you have to 
You have to bury the hatchet. You have to forgive. In uh, 1680, there was a conflict between a confederacy of Native American tribes called the Iroquois Confederacy and uh, a British group, a British um, a battalion. And they were battling, and they were up near Albany, and they were fighting and going, going at each other, and, and it was just going on and on and on. Finally, the leaders of the two sides came together, and they said, we got to end this conflict. Like, this is not going well for you. It's not going well for us. It's, not, it's just not, not a good thing. So they reached terms of peace. And what they did is they dug a hole in the ground, and they each took a battle axe, a tomahawk, and they put it in the hole, and they covered it back over. And this was their commemoration that they were ending the, ending the fight, ending the conflict. Did it go exactly as one side wanted it? No. The other side wanted it? No. But at the end of the day, they said, if we're going to actually move on, we've got to bury the hatchet. We've got to just make peace. We've got to move on. You can't hold unresolved feelings for a conflict that's been resolved. Otherwise, you will just, you will carry a grudge. You will be angry. You'll be bitter. You'll be, you'll churn up inside and the other person's not even feeling it. They don't even know you're, they don't even know you're experiencing it. But here's what the scripture says. And the last scripture for this. From Leviticus, it says, Do not seek revenge. Do not bear a grudge against any, anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Here's what's amazing about the gospel. The gospel calls us to do things that we can't do. It calls us to do things that we are incapable of doing. But then it gives us the solution. Jesus forgives us so that we can forgive others. God shows grace to us so that we can show grace to others. God gives mercy to us so that we can give mercy to others. So the question for you today, for every single one of us is, where is there conflict in your heart that needs to be resolved this week? Where do you need to, to ask God to purify a part of your heart where you're carrying some grudge or bitterness or anger or malice in your heart, where do you need to ask God to cleanse that? And then, where do you need to listen? Where do you need to, to come to somebody and try to understand where they're coming from, what the pain is that they're experiencing, what the wound is that they're... Where do you need to hear somebody out? Maybe the step for you this week is to speak something, to say something to someone that you've been reluctant to say, but you need to sit down with them, you need to say it. You need to go ahead and speak wisely into somebody's life. You need to address them directly. And maybe for you, part of what God's calling you to do today, and he's speaking into your heart, is bury the hatchet. Lay it down. Let it go. Doesn't mean that you can condone what they did. It doesn't mean you minimize what they did. It means you're going to stop drinking the bitterness, the poison that you experience when you, when you hold on to a grudge. He's saying, I want you to, to let that go. Now imagine this. Imagine that it's just not you and me. But imagine it's a, a whole congregation of people who just decide, we're going to do this. We're going to live like this. We're going to apply this to our life. We're going to go through life in our work, in our job, at our school, in our friendships, our relationships. We're going to do what God has called us to do in this, in this way. And then what if it's not just us? What if every follower of Jesus 
around the globe said, hey, we're going to actually implement the teachings of the Scripture. What the gospel teaches is about conflict. We're going to implement it in our lives. We're going to live it out. Here's what happens. It infiltrates every area of life. It infiltrates communities, schools, jobs, offices, families. I mean, it, it, it just becomes, it becomes, it becomes a new reality. And in fact, that's precisely what the prophet Isaiah was calling us to. You see, the, the utopian version of the world that he talked about is, is not just for us to be in our imagination. He said, they will beat their swords into plowshares. And they will beat their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation. And neither will they study war anymore. He's proclaiming the, the kingdom of God into which you and I are invited. Not just invited to experience, invited to build. He's calling us, each and every one of us, to build the world the way God wants it to be. He's inviting us into a vision of reality that's bigger than anything any of us could ever imagine. And the only way that we do it, the only way that you do it, the only way that I do it, the only way that we do it as a community, as followers of Jesus, is when we're willing to both give and receive the wounds of a friend. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the way that it just penetrates our hearts. It, 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 it just cuts between the bone and the marrow. It just goes right into the depth of our soul. You know who we are. You know where we live. You're reading our mail. And God, we just ask that, that this truth that you have spoken through your word to each and every one of us today would transform us, would, would, would encourage us, would give us the strength to do what you've called us to do, to bring harmony, to bring peace amongst brothers and sisters, to bring people back together, to reconcile relationships that are frayed, marriages that are on, on the edge, friendships that have started to fall apart, jobs that are dysfunctional, churches that are breaking down, communities that are falling apart. God, I pray that your word would give us strength to, to lean in and do what you've called us to do. We know that it's right. We know what it is. We just ask that you give us the courage to do it. Father, we ask that everything that we do and say here today would ultimately bring honor, praise, and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.